This is our weekly class where we study a mimer, a Hasidic discourse from the original text, word by word, from the Rebbe. This week we're starting a new mimer, a new discourse called Basilagani. There are many, many maimorim from the Rebbe with the same name, Basilagani. And the way that we differentiate between one Basilagani and another Basilagani is by naming the year. So we're going to learn Basilagani Tafshim Mem Dalit, 5744. But uh, let me just explain a little bit of background. Now, I could use the entire class just giving background, but I don't want to do that. I want to try to do this in less than five minutes, the background part. The sixth Rebbe of Chabad, who was known as the Rebbe Rayatz, the only child of his father, the fifth Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, came to America in 1940, and for the last 10 years of his life in this physical world, he lived in Brooklyn in 770 and brought Lubavitch to America and started basically the, the movement that we know of as uh, Lubavitch in the modern world with all the outreach and the network of Shluchim. That all began in those 10 years. And during the majority of those 10 years, his son-in-law, who was called the Ramash, who later became his successor, the seventh Rebbe, was his secretary and um, was involved in all of the groundwork of all of the institutions that were established during those 10 years. And after the passing of the Rebbe Rayatz, or who we call the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, in 1950, there was a year period where there was not yet an official Rebbe. And after that exactly one year period, on the first yurt site of the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe accepted the Nesias, the leadership. The date is Yud Shvat, the 10th day of the Hebrew month of Shvat. So Yud Shvat Tavshin Yud, 1950, is the Histalkus, the passing of the Friedrich Rebbe. Yud Shvat Tavshin Yud Aleph, 1951, exactly one year later, same date, is when the Rebbe accepted leadership. And the way the Rebbe signaled that he was accepting leadership was at the Fabrengen. He was Fabrengen the whole year. He was leading Fabrengens the whole year, but at, not as an, an official Rebbe. The way that everyone knew that he had officially accepted leadership is he said a mimer. A mimer is only said by a Rebbe. And uh, the first mimer that Rebbe said began Basilagani. Basilagani is uh, from Shira Shiram, from Song of Songs. It means I've come into my garden. Uh, and more significantly, Basilagani is a mimer from the Friedrich Rebbe. Now I should explain something. In the later years of the Friedrich Rebbe's life, he was not speaking maimorim. He was not speaking so much in general because of health issues. <clears throat> but he continued to write, and he wrote many, many maimorim to the extent that even after his passing, they were still coming out with Hasidic discourses that he had written. So, 
it happened to be, nothing happens to be, but this is how it happened. Um, the Friedrich Rebbe wrote a discourse called Basilagani that was scheduled to be distributed on the date of Yud Shvat, which turned out to become the day of his own passing. Okay? So, basically that's, in a certain way, like a, an ethical will, a last will and testament. And so, you understand, the, the mimer that the Fidik Rebbe wrote, which was dated the date of his own passing, the Rebbe then used that same mimer and repeated it a year later at the Fabrengen to signal that he was now Rebbe and was saying Maimarim. And what he did was he took the mimer of his father-in-law. He basically, at the beginning, it's, he's repeating it almost verbatim, and then diverges into his own commentary, which, by the way, became uh, the Rebbe's style throughout all the years. Most of the Rebbe's Maimarim, the Rebbe will take a mimer from one of his predecessors, one of the previous Rebbe's, and give more uh, detailed explanation. A lot of the Rebbe's style is commentary on the, the Maimorim of the previous Rebbe's. So that's what the Rebbe did the first Fabrengen, first official, I'm sorry, first official Fabrengen. And then every year, Yud Shvat, there would be a, an anniversary Fabrengen. Uh, and, and the Rebbe would continue to say a Maimor, Bosilagani. But it wasn't the same Bosilagani. What was the Rebbe doing? Um, so I should explain the concept of a hemshech. A hemshech means a continuation or a serial. You know, like in the magazine when they have like a story and you have to, it says to be continued? A serial? Okay. So some Maimorim are standalone, other Maimorim are serials. Bosilagani was part of a serial of 20 chapters. And what the Rebbe did was each year the Rebbe would repeat the Bosilagani Mimer but focus in on another one of the chapters of the 20 chapters of the previous Rebbe's serial. So in other words, just to make sure this is very clear to you, Tavshin Yud Aleph, which was the first year that Rebbe did his own Basilagani, uh, not that anyone realized it at the time, it was focused on the first chapter of the previous Rebbe's Basilagani. In Tavshin Yud Beis, 57-12-1952, the Rebbe said his own Basilagani, and it was primarily focused on the second chapter of the Fidik Rebbe's Basilagani. And then in Tavshin Yud Gimel, 57-13-1953, the Rebbe said another Basilagani was primarily focused on chapter 3. Very good. Until the Rebbe got to the 20th chapter, and I told you there's only 20 chapters, and then what did the Rebbe do the next year? Hmm? Started again. Very good. Went back to chapter 1. Went back to chapter 1. So we pick up from this that there's this concept of cycling through the 20 chapters in a 20-year cycle. And as such, we continue that cycle. We continue that cycle. So this year is Tafshin. No one knows the year? Paydalid. Tafshin Paydalid. 5784. As such, we are, well, uh, you're close. 
14th. 14th. Oh. 14th. We're on the 14th chapter. So, the same chapter that the Rebbe studied in depth in Tovshin Chof Dalid, that's 5724 or 1964, is the same chapter that I've studied in depth in Tavshin Mem that's 5744 or 1984. And that would have also corresponded to 2004 as well as to 2024, which it's about a couple weeks away, but 2024. Okay, so you understand this year <coughs> correspond this year of Yud Shvat, which is coming up in a few weeks. And what we want to do is use this class as our opportunity to prepare for Yud Shvat, the 10th day of the Hebrew month of Shvat, which is, as I mentioned, the yard site of the previous Rebbe and the day <coughs> that the Rebbe officially accepted leadership. And the way we're going to prepare for it is to study the Rebbe's explanation of the 14th chapter of the 20 chapter Bosilagani serial. And... Um, so I had to make a choice. Okay, so that, I think I did it. I said I wanted to do a five-minute background. I think that was five minutes. Okay. Just a quick yes. When we're talking about the Rebbe, we're talking about Ram- the Ramash. Ramash, yeah. yeah. Stands for his name, yeah. Yeah, his first name is last name, yeah. He's the seventh Rebbe. He's, okay, just one to me. Correct. Okay. Now, I had to make a decision. We couldn't learn both Tufshin Chof Dalet and Tufshin Mem Dalet because we don't have enough time. I think we have about four classes until Yud Shvat, and I knew we could only cover one of the two Maimotim. Um, I have this, I sent you a PDF and the class WhatsApp. People watching on YouTube are like, I didn't get a WhatsApp. Well, you're not, it's a local thing. Okay. But if you're watching online, I will post a link to the PDF in the description of this video. This is a little pamphlet put out by Kohos. And uh, I actually picked this up at the aisle. I was at the aisle for Shabbos, the Shabbos before Hey Tavis. And I picked this up from the aisle. I brought this all the way home, four miles away. Yes. Okay. So, Tovshin Chof Dalid. Dalid. Um, I looked it over, and it's, I'm not going to count how many pages it is, because that's too much math, but uh, it's nine chapters, and it goes from page 14 to 31, it's like 17 pages, okay, so then, in compare, I know this sounds terrible, this is how I decided it, but Basilagan Tovshin Mem Dalid is from page 33 in this pamphlet to 41. It's, it's, it's much shorter, okay? Uh, so I figured we could actually finish it. That's why I chose. So you're going to say to me, why did you choose Tavshin Memdala and not Tavshin Chavdala? Because I felt we could finish it. That's why. That, that was the basis of the decision. Okay. So here we go. Uh, in the PDF, it's on page Lamed Gimel, which I believe in the PDF does correspond to page 33. Because I think the cover page is page one of the PDF. Um, should work out that way. Yeah, it does. Okay, and you see there, which says, B'syate Deshmaya, Shabbos Pashas B'shalach. This was on Shabbos, so there's no recording of it. It was memorized and transcribed after the fact. Yud Shvat Tavshin Dalid Mem. 
says Dalad Mem instead of Mem Dalad because Mem Dalad has a negative connotation. Shin Mem Dalad, yeah, it means destruction. So we don't. Yeah, so we don't write that. We write Tav Shin Dalad Mem. Right. Okay, Hanacha Bilti Muga. Hanacha Bilti Muga means it was not edited by the Rebbe. Um, that means it's to the best recollection of the team of scholars. This is what the Rebbe said, but the Rebbe did not edit it and go over it. And um, their, the, their original Basi Lagani is, is edited, but this is not. Okay. Basi Lagani Echesi Kale. So here are the famous opening words. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. This is, again, I told you this is a verse from where? Shirim. Who's speaking in this verse? Hashem is speaking. He's speaking to his beloved bride. Who's his bride? Us, the Jewish people. And when did this happen? When did he say, I, I came, honey, I'm home. When did he say that? When they built the Mishkan. When they built the physical sanctuary in the wilderness. He said, ah, I'm back. I'm back to the physical world. Now, what's going to happen is that I was going to review the first 13 chapters of the Mimer, um, and then we'll get up to a point where we're, we're ready to delve into a more focused analysis of chapter 14. I don't think today we'll get up to the part that focuses on 14. I think today mostly will be the, the review where the Rebbe is reminding us of some of the main points of the Mimer. Okay. And the Rebbe says, And my father-in-law, the Rebbe, whose your site is today, says in his mimer that starts with these words, And this mimer that Rebbe mentions was given out on the day of his passing. So the, the previous Rebbe says, In his mimer that was released for the day of his passing, it says in Medrash on this verse, Legani Lignuni, Legani Lignuni, little wordplay, Legani to my garden, Lignuni, to my bridal canopy. To the place that was my main place at the beginning. What does that mean? That the main Shechina and what is in the main Shechina as opposed to the other Shechinas? Um, that is something that is explained at length in Basilagani Tavshin Yud Aleph, where the Rebbe focuses on the first chapter of the 20 chapters. But basically it means there are levels of Shechina. You guys who learned Tanya with me remember levels of Shechina. So when we say the main Shechina, we mean the main Shechina, not just levels of it, but the essence, the most essential Shechina. Where was it? It was on the physical earth. In Gan Eden, when Hashem created the world. So in the Garden of Eden, there was the, the highest level of godly revelation down here on the lowest level of creation in the physical world. Okay. But what so what happened? Through seven negative events, the Shechina left, it was repelled all the way to the seventh heaven. And the Rebbe doesn't enumerate specifically here, but in the original Mimer, it quotes the Medrash more fully, and it mentions each generation. First was the sin of Adam with the tree of knowledge, and then it was 
Cain's murder of Abel, and then the generation of Enosh worshiping idols. And basically, the Shekhinah was repelled level after level away from the world. And then afterwards, seven righteous people stood up. Starting from Avram Avinu, who was the one and only, he was the only person in the world like him, and began drawing the Shekhinah back down from above to below. Until Meshe Rabbeinu, who was the seventh, seventh generation from Avraham, and like the Medrash says, and all sevenths are precious. Pause for a second. In the Mimer that the Fidigar released to be, the the, 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 the wrote to be released on the day of his passing, one of the things that that Mimer talks about is a concept from the Medrash that all sevenths are precious. It's a bit uncanny that with his passing, Friedrich Rebbe's passing, he was the sixth Rebbe from the Alter Rebbe, so that began the seventh generation. So the Rebbe in his Mimer focuses on this idea of the seventh generation from the Alter Rebbe and basically draws upon the text of his father-in-law's Mimer, which was released on that very date, that emphasizes this concept of Kol Shvi and Chavivin. All sevenths are precious. And the Rebbe says there basically that, look, it's not because we're so great. It's not because we're so talented. But, hey, we're the seventh generation, and we're precious, and that means we have a special mission. Okay, so this concept, all sevenths are precious, it comes from the fact Moses was the seventh generation from Abraham. And therefore, um, he was the one who made that, the, the, the difference the Shekhinah was being brought down incrementally by Avram and then Yitzchak and then Yankiv, but the one that made the real difference, who brought it from the heavens to the earth, was the seventh. It was Moshe who brought the Shekhinah down to the physical world. When? Where? In the wilderness, in the, in the Mishkan, in the physical sanctuary. Moshe was the one who brought the Shekhinah down to the earth. To the physical world, and there is no plane of existence lower than it. Now, the main way in which this drawing down of the Shechina was expressed was in the Mishkan. Like Hashem says, says in the Torah, make for me a mikdash, make for me a physical sanctuary, and I will dwell within them, within them. The dwelling within the physical structure. The, the mishkan that was made from 13 or 15, depending on the, the opinion you follow, physical, um, not ingredients, not baking a cake, uh, materials, 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 building materials. Besecham kipshutai, and Hashem says, I will dwell within them, besecham, within them, literally, within the Jewish people. And 
And by dwelling in the Mishkan, this causes the Hashem is dwelling within each and every individual Jew, as the Medrash explains. Okay, so all of this is still reviewing the original Basilagani. And in fact, it's reviewing the first chapter of the original Basilagani. This is the meaning of the verse from Tilim, from chapter 37 of Psalms, that Tzadikim, the righteous, will inherit the earth and dwell forever upon it. What does it mean they will dwell? Actually, it means they will cause Hashem's presence to dwell on the earth. They'll take Hashem, who is the the one who dwells forever on high, and bring Him down here to dwell on earth. That Hashem's presence should eternally dwell down here on the physical plane. In an eternal way. And why will it be eternal? Because the mechanism through which we draw Hashem down to the world is through Torah, and Torah is eternal. And then Hashem will rule forever. And this process began, the process of drawing Hashem down to the physical world, which obviously we're talking about Mashiach, but the process began with Meshach Rabbeinu making the Mishkan, and as we know, like our sages tell us, all the works of the hands of Meshach are eternal. Anything that Meshach built still exists. It's still intact. Yes. So, okay, that's the end of chapter one. Just to review very quickly. So in this chapter, the Rebbe starts us off as the, the custom, Basi Lagani. Uh, then the Rebbe reviews some of the main points from the beginning of his father-in-law's Mimer. And the main points, like we said, are that Basi Lagani Chesikala, Hashem is saying, when the Mishkan was built, I've come home, this is my place, I've come back, I've returned. That when he created the world, he was here, he was here in the physical world. Through different mm-hmm. sins, the Shekhinah was repelled to, incrementally further and further away. And then, through a process, a seven-generation process, the Shekhinah was incrementally brought back until finally Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the seventh, was the one who brought the Shekhinah back to the earth, which means that there was a revelation of godliness here on the physical plane, specifically in the Mishkan, in the sanctuary, but that also caused that, that there to be a re- revelation within them, within the individual Jews. Okay, that's chapter one. What? I missed that. You threw Mashiach Well, we're trying to finish this process. The, the process began, where's Mashiach figure into this. The process began when Moshe Rabbeinu built the Mishkan and brought the Shekhinah into the physical sanctuary. Okay, So that's the beginning of bringing Hashem's presence into the physical world. The ultimate, meaning the completion of that process, is Mashiach, when the whole world will be a place where God's presence is revealed. So we're using this concept of the Mishkan where Hashem said, Basi Lagani, I'm back, I've returned, 
um, as sort of the precedent for what we're driving at, what our goal is. This is our purpose. And, w- and when the Rebbe says, you know, I mentioned the idea of, of Kol Shvi and Chavivin, we're the Dara Shvi, the seventh generation. We have to be like Moses' generation, who was the seventh generation from Abraham. Um, that's really what, how the Rebbe applies it. He's saying, what does it mean that we're the seventh? It means we're the ones who finished the job. Meaning, if starting from the Alter Rebbe, starting from the Tanya, Hashem became a little bit more revealed in the world, it's our job as the seventh generation to make Hashem completely revealed in the world. And another way of describing that shorthand is Mashiach. Okay. Chapter 2. And if you're following in the PDF, it's on page Lama Dalad. Yeah, we're good? All right. Fine. Ois base. Chapter 2. Now there's a verse from Tilim from Psalms, Samach Vov, chapter 66, verse 5. You can look it up. The words, Neida Alila al Bene Adam, a terrible libel or slander against the children of man, humanity. So, Chsidis explains that it is speaking about literally B'nai Adam, the children of Adam Harishai, the descendants of the first man, meaning all of us. That the first man was set up. It was a setup. It was entrapment. That the Chet Eitzadas, the sin of the tree of knowledge, was unavoidable. And although certainly there was free choice involved, and certainly therefore there's human accountability involved, at the same time, it could not have been avoided. It was a setup. That's why we say, it's a terrible libel that was brought against humanity, because really there was no way this was not going to happen. Move on, it's understood. These seven negative occurrences that we mentioned in the first seven generations of humanity and how the Shekhinah was being repelled. It was on purpose. It was part of the plan. It was part of the plan. Apparently, Hashem set things up that the Shekhinah should start off being here, but then it should be pushed away one level after another. That was all part of the plan. Vahainu, that is to say, Shiridazuhi Tzarechaliya. This descent was for the sake of a subsequent greater ascent. Don't get confused by, if you're a spatial person and you're like, how is it a descent? The Shekhinah is going up and away. What we mean is a qualitative descent, meaning the, the further away the Shekhinah is getting from the world, then the lower the world is descending into physicality. But every descent is for the sake of a subsequent greater ascent. Like you crouch down in order to be able to leap up higher than if you would just jump from a standing position. And this is an axiom within Torah, especially in Chassidus, especially in the Rebbe's teachings. A descent is only for the sake of a greater ascent. So the fact that the Shekhinah was here, and then we lost it. In fact, 
we, we, we lost it more and more every generation until it started coming back. That's not a bug, it's a feature. It was planned and it's part of the process, indispensably part of the process. Okay. Bichdei, this descent was for the sake of an ascent. Bichdei, in order, Shamshachas Iker Shechina Betachtoidim Tia Ayadei Avedad Yisrael. Follow that. Very important concept. That the Shechina, being in the physical world, should be through the work of the Jewish people. In other words, the Shechina was here to begin with, but how did it get here? Hashem put it here. After we bring it back, that's a big difference. It's not just the Shechina was here, then it was gone, now it's back. Zero-sum game, nothing changed. No, 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 no. It's very different. A million dollars that was given to you is totally different than a million dollars that you earned. <laughs> That's a great question. Meaning, if it had to be earned, so start from zero. Yeah. Why give it to you, make you lose it, and then make you earn it back? Right. I, I love that question. Let's savor it. Okay. I'm not going to answer it, but that's a, great, that's a great place to be with that question. Okay. Why does it have to be a return? Why does it have to be a reinstatement? If we're going to lose it, just don't give it to us to begin with. Yeah, that's great. I'm not going to answer that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that it has to come about through the Aved of Yisrael. Achaisi Kala. My sister, my bride. Right? In that verse, Basilagani Achaisi Kala. Hashem is speaking to his beloved. He's using pet names to describe us. In terms of endearment. You know, but the guy went on his honeymoon to Niagara Falls. You can tell this is an old joke. And he checks into the hotel, the honeymoon suite. And there's this old couple there in front of them checking in and he this young groom overhears this elderly gentleman speaking to his wife and he says honey um, do you want me to check us in dear which room would you like sweetie could I get your bags and when the older wife is out of earshot the young man says to the older man he says I notice you use these such these wonderful terms of endearment honey sweetie dolly baby I mean, how do you keep the spark alive? He says, I can't remember her name. <laughs> okay. okay, so Hashem says, Achaisi, Kala, my sister, my bride, these are terms of endearment. So, Bosi Lagani, Achaisi, Kala, I've come back to my place. This is my place, Hashem says. I love the physical world. This is my home. I've come back. I'm back to my place. And why am I back here? Because you, my dear, you made it possible. You brought. It's not a bachelor pad that I went and I bought some $20 million condo in Tribeca. And no way. It's my wife made a home for me. You understand the difference? Okay, fine. Key. Just take this as axiomatic, that the dwelling place in the lower realms for the Shechina that exists through Jewish people bringing it about is qualitatively greater, incomparably so, than how it was when Hashem just put it here in the first place. And the reason. Okay, 
when the Shekhinah gets brought back after it's departed, it comes about through the transformation of darkness to light. The only way to bring the Shekhinah back once it's been lost is through transforming darkness to light. When the darkness turns into light, this is the only way to make an advantage in the light. I should explain this concept because there's a verse from Kehelis of the advantage of light over dark. So there are a few different ways of understanding that concept. One is light is better than dark. It takes Solomon to tell me that. Yeah, I know. I don't want to bump into things. Light is better than dark. Then there's another way of explaining it. Well, that you appreciate light because of dark. That if there wouldn't be dark, there wouldn't be light. Oh, that's a little deeper. Still not the deepest explanation. The advantage of light, not better than dark. This, this preposition, min, can mean than. It can also mean from. The advantage of light that comes from dark. Light that's made out of dark. The transformation of dark into light. Meaning to say, you start off with a certain quantity of light. And that's what it is. Whatever it is. Uh, assign the value X. And that's the totality of light. You can't have any more than that. Now imagine, not only do you have that, but also all the darkness becomes a new type of light that used to be darkness. Now you have even more light. Is it like the Averas that become mitzvahs? The Averas that become mitzvahs, yeah, from chapter 8 of Tanya, the Zdenis is a great personal example of that. Correct. Great. That's, a great, that's an example of that concept. We're speaking about it um, here probably more in the macrocosm about the world lost something and became darkened, but it's not just reinstating the light that was lost, it's then taking that darkness itself and turning it into new light. If you can follow that concept, it's a little bit mind-bendy. Mind Yeah, we did learn that in the Hanukkah Mimer. We can't assume that everybody was at that class or even people who were there remember it. But yes, we did speak about the transformation of darkness into light, turning darkness itself, not just replacing darkness with light, but turning the darkness itself into light. Correct. And we keep turning it, talking about seven here, but it's really we want to get to eight. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I have to make, maybe I have to make a chart over here. <laughs> that's a good point. Okay. Okay. So okay. The Shrina was here. Shrina was here. The Shrina was here. Yeah. It went back up. Yeah. And then it came back with the Mishkan. Well, it came back step by step. Avram brought it down from the seventh heaven to the sixth, and okay. Yitzchak from the sixth to the fifth, and so on and so forth, until it was poised to return to the world. It was in, it was hovering in that most approximate, most pro the closest. What do you call it? Proximate. Proximate, yeah, I think the word is proximate, not approximate. Proximate, uh, the closest, uh, the, sh the, the, the heaven which is closest to earth, meaning the first one, yeah. Rekiah Ho'alef. Moshe Rabbeinu brought it from there 
down to the physical world through building the Mishkan, the physical structure. Okay. Yeah. When did it leave? Chet Ha'egel, the sin of the golden calf. Yeah. That's when it left. I'm sorry, no. The, um, the, the Mishkan was actually a tikkun after the, uh, the Chet Egel, but it, uh, from the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. Uh, I'm a little confused. So it came. It, it's now? been back and forth a bunch of right, times. So yeah, where yeah. Where is it now? Where's? Well, that's a great cr- question. Where is it now? That's my and and it would seem, if we're to follow these parallels, that it's right behind the door. It's like, because we're entering history with all the previous generation's work, and we just have to just, you know, that tipping point, just, the, the Shekhinah just, it's almost ready to come back to the physical world. Okay. So we've got to be the seventh generation. Yeah, we have to be the seventh generation. We are the, yeah, we are the seventh generation, right. We have to live like it, yeah. Which means to, uh, to accept that our job is to finish the job. How can we finish the job? We're not so great. Well, we're just finishing it. It's like when the, the pickle jar is on too tight and I try to open it I can't open it and then after an hour of trying to open it, I give it to my wife and she opens it but she could only open it because I loosened it up mm. okay so the transformation of darkness into light we're actually gaining the yisana or the advantage actually more light new light a special type of light that's not just light from light but light from dark and you gave a great example of what it means on a, on a personal level, like taking your spiritual failures and turning them into a springboard to gain even greater spiritual sensitivity. That's, that's a great example of what it's like in, the, in a person's experience. Okay. So that's the advantage that needed to be gained. That's the ascent that is gained through the descent. All right. So we call that ishapcha. Remember that word, ishapcha, transformation. <sighs> Parentheses. For instance, an example of this would be the superiority of tshuva over the aveda of a tzaddik. The tzaddik never has any relationship to darkness, not even internally, not, in, not even as a potential, not even as a temptation, which is beautiful. He's so pure, but because he has no connection to darkness, then he can't elevate the darkness. The Balchuva, unfortunately, did have a connection to darkness, but now is capable of not just getting rid of it, but re- repurposing it, turning it into an asset. That was the whole point of Mayim That's also, yeah, you're connecting all the Maimodim we learned. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah by the way, Torah Sachsidis has very consistent themes. So when you learn more and more Maimotim, you'll be like, oh, this, we learned that in this Maimotim, we learned that in that Maimotim. And it's true because there are certain consistent themes. Yes, and this is one of the big ones transformation of darkness into light. Is that part of the code? The code. You mean Torah being a code? Through the code, the world itself is Torah. Yeah, the DNA, the, the yeah, 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 it is, and that's why you see it so much. It's part, it's it's the it's part of the code of Torah, and that's why it occurs in the world. Okay, Kemaimer, like the saying, Kad iskafiyasitra achra, when one subjugates the negativity, 
It causes the glory of Hashem to rise up, to be elevated in all worlds. Through the Aveda of Iskafya, that's subjugation, and Ishapcha, transformation. You know the difference between subjugation and transformation? No. Well, let's figure it out. Subjugation, transformation of what? The dark. The dark. Okay, so subjugation. What's what's subjugation of the dark? Subjugation of it is to not let it get to you, to push it down, to push it away. So you have a desire that's not for God, you ignore it, and you say no, that's not going to express itself, not today. That's called iskafya. Ishapcha is transformation, where you actually take the negative and turn it into a positive. You rechannel it. We yeah we did though. We spoke about his habcha at length. We three minutes ago. Think about three minutes ago. What did we say? Well, it's the classic. We did say practical. Remember three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. An example. You mean you want me to give you a suggestion of an evader that you could do and then do tshuva on? I won't suggest evaders. No. Yetzirah does that. I don't do that. So iskafya is when you don't let the darkness get to you. Okay. Ishapcha is when you're, it's a, much, it's a higher level, and it's a more difficult level, where you actually do the, the judo move, and you take the energy, and you flip it into something good. So instead of getting sucked into the news and all the negativity and what's going on, right. turn you it take that itself and, and turn it into purpose. Okay. Right? Versus just saying, I'm not going to watch my No, you don't delve into the darkness. No, no, no. It's uh, that's okay. So I'm glad that you're bringing this up. When we talk about ishapcha, we're not talking about purposely visiting the darkness and 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 embracing the darkness. That's that's very dangerous and damaging. What we're talking about is we already have a certain amount of darkness that's just part of our lives and part of the fabric of the universe. It's embedded in reality. Like we said, Hashem set up the world in such a way where this darkness is already part of our collective history and it's already part of our individual lives. So we're not like reveling in this darkness. What we're saying is we know it's there. We know that it could, God forbid, ruin us. Iskafia is, I'm not going to let it ruin me. Ishapcha is, can I, can I take the potential for it to ruin me and to re-channel it towards something positive? Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Through the Aved of Iskafia of Ishapcha, Nimshech Gilu Eir Naila B'Yeser, we draw down a greater light. He calls it Rememos, which means an exalted light, a higher light. That's why it uses the term istalik, which means to elevate or to go up, a higher grade of revelation. This is also why they made the Mishkan out of Kroshim. 
What are Kroshim? Kuf, Reish, Shin, Kaddish. What is a Kaddish? What? Who said that? Plank. Who, where? Plank. That is the best translation. I don't think I would have thought of that. Yes, they were planks. Vertical planks. You ever seen the Mishkan? I mean, not in real life, but you've seen pictures of it? Okay. So the Mishkan was made, the primary structure of the, I mean, there were a lot of different materials, but the primary structure, the walls, were made out of these things called kroshim, planks. Great translation. Okay. The Kedeshu Oasis Shaker. Kedesh, plank, yeah, it's kuf, resh, shin. You take the letters and rearrange them, a little anagram here, and you get shin, kuf, resh, which is sheker. Sheker is falsehood or a lie. What's the biggest lie? The biggest lie is you live in a world and you don't see God. The lack of revelation of God is the lie. What's the truth? Godly revelation is the truth. So what are we going to create the revelation of God from? Meaning the truth. From a Kedesh, which is Sheker, which is the lie. In other words, we're going to take a world that makes it look like it is ontologically independent. It's just here. It just exists. Creation without a creator. You know, the big lie that the predictability of nature seems to help uh, reinforce. And from the physicality, from the place of divine concealment, that itself becomes fertile ground to express the greatest revelation of Hashem, even more than Hashem is revealed in the heavens. Sheker is the rearrangement of the letters of Kedesh with a Tziraf Acher, another rearrangement. And he says another, that itself is a deep concept. Acher as opposed to Echod. Echod means the oneness, overt oneness. Acher means anything other than the oneness. And what we're saying is even the otherness, <laughs> this is an example of darkness that turns into light. There is no real otherness. So the appearance of otherness actually only serves to ultimately reinforce the oneness. Because when you have oneness that's all unchecked oneness, it's not as clearly one as when you have oneness that appears to also coexist with otherness, and then you find out even the otherness was only the oneness. Wow, that's an even greater degree of oneness. What? The world, yeah. The world, the world is the seeming apparent otherness which is actually oneness. Now, these kroshim, these planks, were standing planks of acacia wood. I don't really know botanically if that's accurate. I just know that many years ago when I was a young man and the first time I learned this mimer, they told me that atzeshitim is acacia wood. That's, sometimes I also heard it was cedar wood. I think maybe acacia wood is a species of cedar wood. I don't know. You can come back next week and let me know and you can bring pictures. At any rate, I know that there were these really tall trees. These super tall trees that are really great for building. And that's what the Mishkan was made out of. But that's not the point. The, I mean, maybe, not maybe, for sure there is something to be learned if we would delve into the, the, the 
actual physical species of wood. But right now we're going to talk about the, the name of this wood. They are called Ate Shittim. Shittim is the name. And um, what does that allude to? Hainu to transform the falseness of the world into a plank, a building material for a house for God. See that word shtus? Shtus is folly. That's also how I was taught to translate shtus. But you know what? I've never used the word folly in real life. Yeah. Um, foolishness. Yeah, nonsense, shtus is like foolish nonsense, but also it means deviation. Really what it means is, yeah, deviation. To go off, to bend off path. So to take shtus de lumaze, lumaze means on the other side, the negative side, lishtus dikdusha, and turn it into holy shtus, Atze shitim, and that's why the Kaddish is made from Atze shitim, because it alludes to this the idea of taking the negative deviation and turning it into a positive deviation. What does that mean? It means you're not going to be normal. So you could be worse than normal, or you can be better than normal. Your deviation could be that you are deviated below what is the good way to be. Or you could be deviated in a way where you are above the normal way to be. In other words, shtustagdusha means you're not going to be normal anyway. So be weird in a way that serves God. But if everything is God and there is no Asher because it's only yeah. Echad, then there is no deviation. Okay. So, the thing is like this. You're asking a very deep question. The original mimer that the Rebbe is reviewing here, by the way, the Rebbe is still reviewing the first chapter of Basilagani. It speaks about the idea that, and, and the Fidika Rebbe is speaking in 1950 and, and living in America, and he's talking about how people are very locked into their ways into their, what they think is normal and what they think is proper. And if you really think about like 1950s America, you know, who the Friedrich was speaking to at that time, you really understand why that was like an issue. And um, he's saying, look, we all from time to time have these deviations where we go off the normal path. So anyways, you're, you're, you're deviating. So turn that into something where you're doing something unconventional for the sake of Yiddishkeit, for the sake of Hashem. In other words, go out of the box, be a little unconventional, take a risk, do something bold in a way that makes God's presence more appreciated in this world. So you're talking about a deviation. Yeah, what, what, what we're talking about is from the perspective of the world, in the world, people are looking at you, and um, there is something called the norm, and even according to Toyota, there's something called a norm, and in fact, he's decrying that as well, and when a person says, look, I'll just be Jewish following the letter of the law, I don't have to be too intense, I don't have to get carried away, 
So he's saying, no, you do have to be intense and carried away. You do have to go above and beyond. And the point here is, the transformation of Sheker into Kedush, taking the lie of the world and turning it into a home for Hashem, is through Atzei Shittim, through Shtus, through going above and beyond and doing something unconventional and crazy. What's an example of that? Something unconventional and crazy? Um, standing at the train station with menorahs and saying, excuse me, are you Jewish? Do you have a menorah? That's embarrassing and cringy and weird, and no normal person wants to do that. And it's an incredible example well, of... 2023, that's Oh, you're right. We made it normal. So now we have to... Yeah, we, now we have to find a new boundary to push. Okay, you're right. All right. Shayideze... I'm going to finish up here. That through this, <coughs> what we just described, we draw down the main Shechina into the physical world in a manner greater than it was at first. So we're not just putting things back. You broke it, you fix it. No, no, no. We're not just putting things back to the way it was. What would be the point of that? We're making things better than it's ever been. So that means that when we, through going out of our comfort zone, bring the Shekhinah back to the world, it will be in a greater manner of godly revelation here in the physical world than it even was in Gan Eden when Hashem first was at home in this physical world. Okay, now that's the end of Ois Beis, of chapter 2. If you look at the beginning of chapter 3, it starts with the words, Umam Behamaimer. He continues in the discourse. Um, and that's where the Rebbe will start to summarize chapter 10. Now, remember, which chapter are we going to focus on for this year? 14. 14. So basically, what the Rebbe does in this Mimer is summarizes chapter 1, just to sort of get us back into the general flow of things, then summarizes chapter 10 or 10, 11, and 12, and 13 to like get us into the chapters that ramp up into 14, and then focuses on 14. So, what have we covered so far? Just one. We reviewed chapter one. Next week, God willing, we'll review what happens in chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, and maybe even get into the analysis of chapter 14. Yeah. Okay, so now we're all going to leave from here. Yeah. Any suggestion on how to take whatever we just learned and make it tangible? You want some homework? I want homework. You, yeah. Okay. I want to be told and spoon fed, like, this is what you need to do. Okay, well. Practically wrong speaking. Person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah, I don't like to spoon feed. But what was, this, what was the suggestion for homework? A little shtustikadusha. You could get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. 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 That's a. I think that's that's good homework. A little uh, do something that's out of your comfort zone, out of the norm that you're doing for Hashem.